Thank you for joining us for another episode of Mountain Murders. This is our second episode, and we're pretty surprised how popular the first one actually was. Yeah, a lot of good feedback. Yeah, we didn't expect such positive feedback, so thanks for that. Although we did get one negative comment, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, Some guy, I guess it was on Facebook, was like, Oh, you guys are going to get sued, and the family is going to get all the money you're making from that podcast, and uh, how dare you? They've already lawyered up, and we were like, wow, so in 12 hours since we posted a podcast, yeah, some family, and I'm not sure if it's the victim's family or the you know, assailant's family is going to sue us, already lawyered up. Right. Yeah, I guess the guy's uh, just totally, uh, the you know, knowledge of uh, free use, fair use, and... Uh, what is public record is, you know, there's fair use. So I don't know. I guess that just ev- ev- escapes him. I have no idea. You damn death peddlers. Yeah. Leaving exactly. people alone. Lord Almighty. Let we're, the day's dead stay dead. We're going to get sued. Yeah. What about the convict's rights? That's that's amazing. I know. Exactly. Fuck him, by the way. Anybody that murders people can kiss my ass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, if that's the case, there's a hell of a lot of podcasts out there who are going to yeah. shut down pretty quickly. Right. So. Called public information. So good luck with that. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to say thanks to Bill Smiles, my favorite Asheville tattooer, for his Patreon support. He went there and made a donation to our cause. Yeah, I was going to say, if so we're making money, if, are you lying to well, me? I was going to say, if we're getting sued, I guess that guy's going to get three bucks out of Bill Smiles. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, I know, right? Thanks, Bill. Bill's awesome. So if you're in Asheville... Or the surrounding area, want to get a tattoo, 
go check him out. He's amazing. He's on Instagram. I need a cover up. I'm coming to see him. All the cool kids are. Oh, yeah, you're going to get that Justin Bieber tattoo covered up? Well, not the Beeb. You're not a believer anymore? Well, you know I'm a believer. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. So, episode two. This is a doozy. We're excited about this. So, this tale of murder is not a pretty one. And for anyone who is from the Appalachian Mountains, then you probably understand the harsh poverty, which has long cast a dark shadow on the area. You know, outsiders deem us as uneducated, ignorant, backward, not wearing shoes or, you know, even having teeth. I mean, I've legit had people say to me, oh, you're from Western North Carolina, but you've got your teeth. Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, a lot of hackneyed representations of who we are. And, of course, stereotypes still continue today. And what I find so interesting, and I'm going off on a tangent here before we get started, but I think it's important to address, is in our socially aware world, of course, we're also conscious of being, what are you doing with your microphone, dude? I'm sorry. It's all in my face. It's uncomfortable. <sighs> I'm sure you're not used to big things being in your face. So, Well, no, it's just stationary. That's what's weirding me out about Well, it. we're so conscious of being politically correct, but it's still okay to make fun of hillbillies, quote unquote, and people from Appalachia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I was telling you today, I try to listen to some different podcasts on small town murder, kind of get a feel for what's out there. And uh, more than one of them, they spent half of the podcast just trashing the South. Every stereotype you just listed plus some very vicious and it was just hilarious to these guys so you know that just proves they've never been in the south never visited the south that's why everybody thinks we're a bunch of racist crazy people and everybody's at each other's throat when that's not the south and fucking their sisters and they're too ashamed to admit they fucked their sisters up north i know and like we don't have a family tree we have a family wreath that's right that's what they think it goes straight up no branches yeah, I mean, I guess they've seen Deliverance, so they think they know all there is to know about. Though that was filmed in the area, the thanks. rural thanks. south. Thanks. I know. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's all the reality shows too that don't really help the cause. Yeah, it's a bunch of shit. You've got that like ignorant bullshit, like hillbilly blood, which is all like huh. staged and, and totally fake, and not at all <laughs> a clear, accurate representation of how we lived. No, we're in the middle of nowhere by the Bethel Dollar Store. <laughs> we're in the swamp. Oh my god, Curly's lost gold. Oh, I know. It's oh, so my ridiculous. God. But that's what happens. That's what people really think we're like. Right. So I guess with this story we're about to weave here, I don't know if people are going to take something else away from it, or maybe they'll have a deeper sense of what life might be like here. I mean, I think the poverty and being uneducated, ignorant, backward, those stereotypes, I mean, yeah, the the rural South and especially the mountains of Appalachia, we have had some serious poverty. But, you know, Appalachia is a beautiful area. And there are some dark stories, twisted tales, but there's also a lot of great things here. Oh, yeah. I mean, the beautiful mountains, um, the mountain people, they're very um, hardworking, industrious, creative. Don't give up. I mean, think of the music that's produced here, the folk art, the dance. I mean, there's such a rich cultural history here. But we want to get into the story that's pretty twisted. And uh, let's get started, Dylan. You ready? Yeah, this is almost like a local legend. Oh, it really is. So Nancy Dude, that name was pretty infamous in Haywood County where I grew up. There was not a single person around who didn't shudder at the name. She was a legend, a ghost story, a cautionary tale. I mean, she's almost like mythic if you think about it. So born into poverty like most mountain folks, Nancy Dude was a woman who knew desperation. And being poor is a grim fact of living in a rural area especially around the turn of the century, and being a poor woman 
made the situation even more hopeless. So decades earlier, of course, the, the South had just lost the war. And we all know what that war is. It's the war on Christmas. Yeah. I'm just kidding. It's the war. So the war, of course, I'm speaking about the Civil War, was still a pretty fresh memory in the minds of, uh, you know, folks who were born just a few decades after. And in Western North Carolina, farming, logging was a way of life. And by all accounts, Nance Dude had a pretty rough life. So her name was Nancy Ann Connard, and she was born July 1848 in Catalucci, an area that is now, you know, a national park. She was a young woman when the war had broken out, the Civil War, so she lived through that. She married Howard Curley pretty young and birthed a son, but that marriage didn't last too long. Nance had an affair and took up with the local drunk, Dude Hannah. Now, Dude was supposedly very mean, cruel, abusive, lazy, alcoholic, refused to work, that kind of thing. But I guess he was some dashing debonair lover because Nance took up with him, left her husband, left her security to go run off with this dude feller. Dude was slinging meat. I guess so. I don't even know what that means. You should be ashamed. No, I'm just kidding. So Nance gave birth to a daughter, Lizzie Hannah. And like a lot of Ways in which we mountain folk might get a nickname or a moniker. I mean, you might run into somebody named Puddin or Popcorn or, you know, I'm sure you know somebody who's got a crazy rednecky mountain name. I work with a Popcorn and a Puddin at the mill. See, exactly. Everybody <laughs> knows a Puddin when you live in the South. Anywho, so you end up getting these, you know, these nicknames for whatever reason. And so folks around began calling Nancy Nance Dude. Now, what I, like from what I can find, I don't think Nance or Nancy Dude was ever actually married to Dude Hannah. I think they just cohabitated, which, of course, back in the, you know, late 1800s would have been very scandalous. I mean, we're talking about good church-going mountain folk here. Right. You, they were in church every Sunday because that was the that was the social hour to go to church. I mean, you just had to. So I imagine that that was... Not very reputable to be laid up, shacked up, if you will, with this drunk feller. Well, dude eventually abandoned them. And so they were destitute, of course, nowhere to go. Two women, well, Nance and her daughter, you know, jobless, you know, couldn't exactly run a farm on their own and do these things. So, I mean, they were just left sort of, you know, out in the cold, if you will. And the mother and daughter ended up moving in with some neighbors, the Putnams. And the Putnams had a son, Will. And so, of course, nature ripened a relationship between the two children, Lizzie and Will. And sometime, and from what I can find, it seems like maybe around 1911, that uh, Lizzie had given birth to a daughter, Roberta. And now Lizzie claimed that Roberta belonged to Will Putnam. But, of course, pride and ignorance being what it is sometimes, Will Putnam refused to marry Lizzie until the bastard child went to live somewhere else. He wasn't convinced the little girl belonged to him, although Lizzie adamantly stated that Roberta was, in fact, his child. She had never been with anybody else. But I guess in the age of, uh, you know, no paternity tests and that sort of thing, Putnam refused to take responsibility for the daughter. So by 1913, Lizzie was pregnant with a second child, and as you can imagine, chomping at the bit to get married because what a scandal. Baby born out of wedlock. Oh, yeah. Two know, of them. 
and you got to consider the time. I but mean, she, she should have quit giving it to him. Exactly. So he doesn't want to marry do right her. Thing. He wants this little toddler daughter, Roberta, to go live someplace else, wants to get rid of her. So Lizzie asked her aging mother, Nance, uh, to take the child to the county home and see if they would take in both the elderly Nance and the child. And at the time, the family was living on Utah Mountain, which, of course, still in Haywood County. And now Utah Mountain, I wanted to give a little geography lesson here for you. So now Utah Mountain kind of overlooks what is known as like Queens Farm on Delwood Road. And Delwood Road is also known as like US 1923. It runs from Waynesville, Lake Jalaska, that area, into Maggie Valley, over Soco into Cherokee, right? Well, on the other side of Utah Mountain, that faces Jonathan Creek, which is like 276, right? So they lived kind of, I guess, it was called like Ad, Ad Tent uh, Knob or something, which was kind of at the top, I suppose, of Utah Mountain. And so this was February of 1913 when this all went down, when Lizzie asked her mother, Nance, to take herself and little Roberta and make the trek into Waynesville to this county home. So Nance set out walking to town. And so you got to speculate. I mean, town probably would have taken a couple of days to get, you know, if you're on foot, you're an elderly woman. I mean, it's a few miles away, probably, what, eight, ten miles, Dylan? Yeah, I was going to say, take you a minute to make that trek in the car nowadays. Yeah. So I could imagine on wagon, dirt roads, you know. Paths, trails. Probably not very good roads. Exactly. We're not talking about like paved highways no, here. We're no dirt about trails, dirt basically. Paths big, and trails. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it was probably going to take a couple of days. And so, you know, this old lady, old woman, elderly woman, she was in her 60s at the time, and this toddler set off. And Lizzie didn't expect to see her mother for a while. I mean, especially if that county home accepted both the child and the old woman kind of thing. So everybody was a little surprised, I guess, as you can imagine, to see Nance return later that day, you know, later in the evening. Doesn't have the child. And Nance, always very stoic, began telling some variations of a story regarding Roberta. She said the county home accepted the child. And one version of the story was that they had hitched a ride with a preacher man from over in Tennessee who dropped them off at the county home, and that was how she was able to get there and back so quickly. Then there was a story about how this man had taken the little girl home with him. And then, of course, there were some other stories. uh, You know, the, the child went with these people, went there, whatever. So the little girl's whereabouts were unknown, and this ever evolving story from Nance, you know, just uh, had Lizzie concerned, and of course, I guess others, probably the Putnams and neighbors, uh, concerned about this child's fate. And I guess at some point, Lizzie maybe even sent a letter out to the county home with a neighbor and ended up getting word back that the county home had no child in their care, nor did they even take children. Uh-oh. The county home was reserved strictly for elderly people, and they didn't, they weren't in the, you know, adoption or fostering or, you know orphanage business so now they're gonna be wondering where in the world is the little girl right two years old went off with her grandmother never telling different stories yeah which is never good no so eventually the haywood county sheriff 
a man named Jack Carver stepped in and began a search for the child. Now, since she couldn't be found, Nance, Lizzie, and Will Putnam were placed in jail. Lizzie actually gave birth to her son, her second child, while she was in the sheriff's custody. So by April, now you got to consider this happened back in February. So by April, of course, the weather had warmed up. Snow had melted at those higher elevations. Um, You know, people could get out, start doing some searches. So the trio was still in jail as search parties began combing the area of Utah Mountain around kind of where the family, you know, had lived. And um, a 16-year-old kid named Frank Janes uh, was out on the search party or, you know, out with the search party, out on the trail looking for this little girl, and he had a dog with him. And the dog actually led them to a cave at what is called Adtate Knob. And I was trying to remember the name of that earlier, but Adtate Knob, which is on Utah Mountain. Yeah, I've never heard of that knob. Well, the crevice where the cave was had some rocks, and some even described boulders, like, lodged in front of the entrance. And I guess they, you know, maybe were even smelling something once they got up there. The dog's going nuts, so they know they've got to check this cave. Well, from what I've read online, it took several strong men to pull rocks away and expose the doom beyond. So there they found this decaying corpse of this two-year-old little girl, Roberta Ann Putnam, and her small body was wearing layers of dresses. Because, of course, when they had set out on foot, it was February. It was cold. These are poor people. They probably don't have winter coats, winter shoes, all of those things for a little girl. Could you imagine? So I'm assuming her mother, maybe her grandmother, layered her up in these dresses in hopes that that would keep her warm. So, you know, it was like they were careful enough and attentive enough to dress this child for the weather. But, you know, just it's a sad little fact there, little detail. So, of course, you know, the three are in jail. They find the body of this little child. So, word, word, I can't talk today, word traveled through the valleys and up, you know, the ridges all over about what had become of this missing toddler. And then, of course, the speculations, rumors began swirling. Some people believe that Will and Lizzie had actually placed the child inside the cave um, because, you know, you look at this old lady, she's like 65 frail probably not in good condition you got to consider the time poor probably not you know very well um you know probably not in great health probably a little malnourished because they're poor and you know probably not looking her best i mean i think 65 today is not as old as it was 150 back then a long time exactly like (laughs) this was this woman was basically on you probably on death's door probably had a damn foot in the grave how'd she put them big ass rocks in front of the cave that's what people have always wanted to know is did she have help how did an elderly woman do this by herself i mean i've seen pictures of nancy she was like not a big lady it was not like this was a bodybuilder she was a tiny frail withered little old lady so how in the world did she move those big rocks in front of that cave door so a lot of people have said you know they really think that will putnam was involved or that lizzie had help or i'm sorry that nance had help 
maybe from Lizzie, maybe from Will, maybe the three of them, that there could have been like multiple people involved, but no one spoke about it. I mean, it was like, if that was the case, it was tight-lipped. They can never prove who put those rocks there. So that's always been kind of, I guess, an element of the story that's really played into that legend. So when they began, you know, trying to get a jury together, no jury could be seated in Haywood County because everybody had heard the story. Everybody already had an opinion on it that they were trying to seat on this jury and people were angry. It's funny. Even back then, you know, like nowadays with the media and everything moves so fast. But even back then, something like that happens in an area. People talk and you can't find, you know, an impartial jury, if you will. So they move a county over, which is like a world away. Yeah, which is exactly what happened. So the judge decided to move the trial over to the neighboring Swain County to the courthouse in in what is, you know, Bryson City. And the move almost didn't happen. Just reading some reports and uh, news articles and that kind of thing, there was an angry lynch mob that basically showed up at the jail ready to clobber Nance, Will, Lizzie. I mean, they were ready for what we call mountain justice. Mountain justice. Oh, yeah. No trial. We're going to hang these people high. Well, after the trial, Nance pled guilty to second-degree murder. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, at the trial. So she pleads guilty. She was sentenced to 30 years in the state women's prison in Raleigh. And that would have been March 1914. So the child was discovered in April. The trial happened pretty quickly. So by March, you know, less than a year later, basically, from the discovery of the body, she's on her way to prison. So she serves 15 years in prison, and then she's released. So she did half the sentence. But she was 80 years old when they finally let her out of prison, right? So I guess they assumed she would no longer be a danger at 80. Right. I don't know. Well, Nance returned to her previous home on Jonathan Creek. And now this is a detail that I don't know exactly if this is fact or fiction because there have been several books, plays, stories, you know, kind of passed down, written about this. But one of the um, stories that I had found was that apparently Nance had a $10 bill, which I guess was what the state gave you, like when you got out of prison. Like, here you go, here's 10 bucks, go start a new life kind of thing. And I guess she returned to Jonathan Creek, gave that $10 to her daughter, and then disappeared, right? Left her home for good. Well, she moved over to Conley's Creek, which is an area of Bryson City. And she lived in a shack there alone for about 24 years before she died. Wow. So she was 80 and lived another 24 years. So she died at the age of 104. Wow. Tough this old is bird. a unique fact. So my family, my father's family, my paternal grandfather, my great-grandmother, they were from Swain County. And my great-grandmother's family lived up Conley's Creek for years and years and years. I believe as a, you know, a child, my grandfather lived Conley's Creek. I mean, I've been up to that area time and time again. We fly fish up there, had family up that way, you know. And so my great-grandmother was alive of course, at this time when Nance Dude moved up to Conley's Creek. And when I was a kid up until, you know, my granny died, she would tell me this story because we would talk a little bit. She was she was kind of interested in 
local stories and legends. So we would chat a bit about this Nance Dude story because, like I said, it's something that I heard my whole life, this story about Nance Dude and what she had done. So my great-grandmother remembers Nancy Dude living on Conley's Creek and that she had these black labs, like these big black dogs, and that she would walk up and down the road, you know, doing whatever, and when my great-grandmother and her brother would see Nance coming, my my great-grandmother, I called her Granny, she would jump in a cornfield that was by the road with her brother, and she said they would hide. They would, like, crouch down and hide until Nance had passed because they were afraid of her because, of course, everybody knew what she had done. Yeah, I'm sure everybody talked till the day she died. And everybody called her a witch. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, my great-grandmother and her brother Ike would hide out in this cornfield, wait for her to pass, because she was like, we were so terrified, we didn't want to pass by her, we didn't want to look her in the eye. Like, we really, truly thought this woman was a witch and that she was going to somehow kill us. Hmm. And that whole legend about the witch, actually, people in Haywood County were saying that about her at the time. Because they were like, how in the world did this little old lady move all these rocks and whatever? So that was another kind of rumor that swirled was she's a witch and it was witchcraft What's the wonder they didn't burn her. kid up in this cave right so i just thought that was kind of a unique element to the story about nance dude that little familial connection so of course throughout the trial nance never offered up any kind of remorse she never showed any sort of emotion about the granddaughter dying about her involvement Never any kind of justification, really, for what had happened. I mean, and people were just astounded. I mean, how does your granddaughter die this horrible death, alone in a cave? Starved to death. Starved to death. In the cold. The elements, probably, you know, frostbite. Yeah, who knows? All that horrible stuff. How could you do that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if you're in a bad way, you know? I just don't know how you can leave a little one behind like that. Yeah, I mean, it's horrific. Yeah. And, and so, for them asking, probably hollering, screaming while you're blocking them in this cave. Yeah. Scared. I mean, just the whole thing is terrible. It's hmm. so gruesome. And yeah. But, you know, people were just like, what the fuck? I mean, she never seemed sad. And even if she was innocent and really hadn't done this, she wouldn't she have shown some emotion and been yeah, like you'd be all to hell oh, this is horrible i can't believe this is happening but she was just cool as a cucumber as they say so the truth ultimately died with dance dude she's buried somewhere outside of bryson city in bumgarner cemetery which i think is maybe around whittier and roberta is buried in the delwood cemetery and Will and Lizzie died later. So I guess Will died in 1955 and Lizzie died in 1969. So, of course, the three people involved in this have passed. And the cave where Roberta Putnam lost her life is on private property, but I guess is still a destination for, of course, local lore, teenagers, and morbid curiosity seekers. So a lot of people want to go up to the cave. And I know when I was young, I mean, I've, like I said, I've heard this story my whole life. Grandmother's told me this story. Great grandmother. My mom knows this story. I mean, it's just like if you're from Haywood County, if you are a true local, 
then you know the story. Would you go see the cave? Have you seen it? I haven't, but I have known people like when I was in high school, like friends and, you know, kids that would go up there and it was like a thing to do. Right. You know, and of course I heard stories like, oh, if you go up there at night, you can hear a little girl crying. Yeah. Of course, those stories. That's probably the beers. The beers. Yeah, the beers was making them hear people crying. And the cheap weed. And the weed, crappy weed. Probably. (laughs) So, no, I've never been up there. Yeah, well, maybe we'll go find it. But I have heard that in the winter when they're, you know, the leaves are off the trees that you can see it from the road. Oh, yeah? Or from certain places. So, I don't know. I've never really checked. Just such a sad story. It is very sad. Very sad. A little one lost their life there. Yeah. And Starved to death. Like I said, there have been a couple of uh, stories written. Um, There's a book by Maurice Stanley, which is a work of fiction, but... It's rooted in a lot of fact, right? and he's just sort of added, of course, some conversation and some little things here and there, I guess, to make the story a bit more interesting or kind of, you know, had some creative freedom with that. There's a song about Roberta and Nance Dude called Poor Child, which I guess some local bluegrass um, folks have performed because, you know, we got to have us a good murder ballad to go along with our story. That's just what happens. And then there was a play written by a a Silva man named Gary Carden, and it's called Nance Dude. And I actually have found a clip of that play, and we may play some audio from that. Wow, I'd like to see that. We'll include a little bit of audio in our podcast just to kind of give people an extra something. That sounds cool. I want to see that. Yeah. And so I guess the Nance Dude play has been performed up in Highlands, here in Silva, I think maybe throughout the Southeast. So maybe if you ever have a chance to check that out. It's a one-woman play. And uh, the version that we actually have, a little clip from, uh, stars Elizabeth Westall, and it was from back in 2009. Mm. But uh, we are, you know, very grateful that you're listening in to today's show. Oh, yes. That was a, a local legend. We just wanted to get that out there to you. Yeah, because there's probably generations, because we're getting up there in years, Dylan, there are some younger generations who maybe have never heard this story. And we've had such an influx of people moving into our area that a lot of the local legends and stories are dying out. Right. People because, move I mean, off. People move in. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I've heard this story my whole life. It's but, not cool. But I'm like a true Haywood County native. I oh, mean, yeah. You're ro- Haywood County royalty. I mean, my family has been in Haywood County for like 200 plus years. Your cracker card is like on 1,000. That's true, baby. Yeah. Are you going to punch my cracker? All got, the benefits. You got some cheese from my cracker card? <laughs> you better believe it. Okay. <laughs> Extra sharp. So, you know, I do come from a family that, um, you know, we have, well, on both sides of my family, we've been in Haywood County for years. I mean, we have, you know. Generations. Communities named after us. So this is a story that's been passed down. Like I said, I've heard this from my mother, my grandmother, great-grandmother. My aunts and uncles know this story. So people who are truly local to Haywood County have have heard this story but there are lots of generations out there like i said younger folks who may not be aware and then of course people who've moved into the area so we just wanted to let you know because this is a this is a pretty um like meaningful story oh it is it's a very meaningful story and not uh not just because of uh, the legend status of it but i mean this child lost her life and in such a horrific way yeah very and, uh, yeah that's worse than being killed i mean i mean and, not any of it's good but to 
literally starve or, you know, who knows how long the little thing made it. The little girl made it there behind those rocks and not understanding what's going on. And in the eyes of the law. Every rock chunks in a pile. Yeah. And in the eyes of the law, of course, her grandmother, guilty of this. Right. Guilty of her murder. So not only is she brutally murdered in this terrible way, but by her own grandmother, who later doesn't even seem upset or sad or disturbed or moved. Well, I guess it explains how she could do it. Buy it at all. How she could leave her there like that because she really didn't have any feelings for the little girl. Yeah, I guess not. So, of course, we love these podcasts. We're really excited. We've got some great um, stories in the works. Yes, we do. Some of them are pretty rough, pretty brutal stuff. So we're going to dig into those soon. Yeah, we are. But uh, if you want to listen, of course, you can find us on Spreaker.com. You can find us at SoundCloud, on Patreon. Um, You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And all you have to do is uh, keyword search Mountain Murders, and it pulls right up. Okay. And I will do an in-person podcast for $100 an hour. So anybody wants to do that. An in-person podcast? I don't know what that means. Can you explain that If they fly me out and they provide the beer... I will talk about anything they want. Are you going to be loud and exuberant? Very. Very. I feel like In a we, good way. I feel like we need to give you a few beers before we do this podcast. Oh, yeah? Because you really come out of your shell. You come alive. <laughs> like You just pour a couple of those craft beers down your throat. Well, there's a window you're there. you're like a new man. There's a window where it just, I'm on top of the world. It's true. But, you know, you can go too far. We have to find you in that jovial Right. I think it's two medium. to four craft beers. Okay. Is the window. So maybe we could, that could be like a test that we do. Maybe like a little test run. Okay. Next episode. I'm all that for we'll, that. We'll give Dylan some beer and we'll let him go because he, he is so funny. We'll have to try that out. I'm ready to release the Kraken. <laughs> I really, yeah. I really enjoy when you do your little accent there. Oh, thank you. You, you do Honey, you do a damn good job. You leave them people alone. You stay out of that goddamn cemetery. Oh, okay. (laughs) There ain't nothing but evil down there. Oh, sorry. See what happened? See what you did? Yeah, I did. Thank you. Okay. Okay, well, we're going to wrap this up. And uh, but but I am going to play the clip for you from the Nance Dude. Okay, I want to hear it. Take a listen to that and uh, maybe kind of get a little feel for, I mean, maybe what that was like. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with more Appalachian true crime stories. I guess you don't know what they say I done. They say I put Roberta in one of them little rock caves on Utah Mountain and piled the rocks up till she couldn't get out. Mamma, go to sleep, Robbie. I'll be back soon. Did I leave her there to starve in that cave? Oh, I piled them rocks all right. Weren't nobody there but me. But somehow, I feel like I had help piling them rocks. I had wrapped that coat around that young and told her to wait that I'd be back.
I thought I would. I, I thought I would. I walked down Utah Mountain. Back up Jonathan Creek. Back to Buford's. Climbed the steps. Knocked at the door. Where is she? Buford hollered. I give her to a preacher in Tennessee, I said. Oh, he hated to do it. But he opened the door and let me in. Because after all, me and Buford had a bargain. They found what was left of Roberta two weeks later. So, <coughs> that's why they're taking me to Swain County in the morning. So as I can have a fair trial. Some folks showed up here last night with a rope. Tried to get me when they moved me from the courthouse to the jail. I thought they'd do it too. Knocked me down and skimped me up a little. Some of them faces I recognized. They was the same people that had shut their doors against me and Roberta. Feller come to take my picture. He called me the Jonathan Creek Witch. I sat there all one day while them fools walked by and stared at me. Some of them saying things like, I hope they string you up, Granny. They brought poor little Flossie, but she cried till they had to take her away. Well, tomorrow's the big day. I'm going to Swain County. That's where they'll decide about degrees. Now, I don't intend to open my mouth. I'm going to hump up just like an old mud turtle. I'm going to pull my head in, shut my eyes, grit my teeth, and wait. Maybe they'll electrocute me. Maybe so. But somehow I think it's going to be like everything else that's happened to me for the last 65 years. I'm going to have to bargain. That's the way it all is. Somebody will say to me, Oh, Nancy, ain't no way you're going to get out of this hard place by yourself. And then somebody will say, Let's bargain. That's the way it's all us been. Howard, dude, Buford, they drive hard bargains. But this time, it's with the state of North Carolina. And this is going to be the hardest one of all. <laughs>